everyone. Welcome to episode 44 of Fish Across the Pond, a UK Marlins podcast. I'm your host, Peter Pratt, and delighted to welcome Alex Carver on today's podcast. Uh, for those who don't know, Alex is the man behind the Fish on the Farm blog and Twitter account. Alex, how you doing, buddy? Doing great, Pete. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, it's, you're a really great, great person to follow on Twitter. I love your outlet. I love that there are Marlins fans out of the United States, guys like you that stay up till four or five in the morning, and you're watching this team even when it's losing 100 games. And you're so excited about it. You're so passionate about it. Guys like you, guys like Zach Rad from Israel, uh, everybody else who's overseas who follows the Marlins, you guys are all awesome. So it's great to be on with you. It's great to talk to you. You're always, always been a good friend and uh, one of my favorite people, like I said, in the Marlins universe. So thank you again. Awesome. Well, the love is shared. I'm, I'm extremely excited for this podcast. And I think the listeners are going to absolutely love it because – the product on the field the last few years at the major league level has not been great, but the, what has been happening is that Marlins, that farm system has been re-energized, if that's the right way of framing it. I mean, it's gone from one of the worst to one of the best. So I think this is going to be an awesome podcast. I think we could probably spend 10 hours covering this, if not more. And, and a little health warning, um, I'm, I definitely don't have the deepest understanding of, of uh, prospects for sure. So there's going to be players that you talk about that I've never heard of. <laughs> so that should be fun too. Um, before, before we get stuck into it, um, perhaps a quick intro. Most people I'm pretty sure will have seen the Twitter account and the stuff that you guys do. But for those who haven't, maybe a quick intro in terms of... Um, uh, I guess, how long you've been covering the team, what you guys are about, and I guess one kind of question as well, favorite Marlins all-time player? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I'm a lot like any other fan uh, of this team down here in South Florida. Uh, you know, I was born in the late 80s. Uh, I Basically, the Marlins obviously came to be when I first started knowing what a baseball was in 1993. So Marlins baseball, as far as being a fan, has been basically all I've ever known. Uh, you know, my mom grew up, grew us up, me and my two sisters as a single mom, took us to Marlins games where we paid five bucks and got to sit, you know, down in the nice seats because there were 200 people, 300, 400 people in the stadium in those years in the mid nineties there. So, uh, grew up with those teams, uh, you know, Gary Sheffield, uh, you know, who else, uh, you know, all those, those truck car, um, you know, the early year teams when the franchise was first gaining its footing. Um, so that being said, uh, definitely at that point in my life and still to now, my favorite Marlins player has got to be Jeff Conine. Um, you know, never was the greatest player, but was always the greatest guy and uh, was part of both championship teams. Um, great personality, just a good guy to be around. Everybody that has that played with him will tell you the same thing. Uh, so, yeah, definitely Mr. Marlin for me on that. Uh, as far as what I do, uh, I started covering the Marlins uh, in 2014 with this project. Uh, before this, I did a little bit of other things for a couple of other uh, companies. I, I wrote for a little bit for Fish Stripes. So you guys know them. Um, wrote a little bit for a company called MVN, which uh, since is no longer in existence. And after that happened, I went off on my own. I took up the prospects because 
at that time, nobody really wrote about the prospects. We were talking about guys like Tyler Kolek, uh, a top prospect. Top prospects were guys that became decent players, but not star players. Guys like Justin Nicolino. Um, I remember you'll, you've said guys that you've never heard of. Probably you've never heard of Avery Romero. He was our number three prospect in 2014. Uh, Colby Suggs was in, on the list. So I saw these guys not getting any exposure, and I was like, you know what? I want to give those guys some exposure. I want to talk about those guys that maybe they're not going to be star players, but guys that can contribute to a major league team. And that definitely contributed on the minor league level. So that's basically where I started it. Um, obviously, there was a little less to write about back then. There's a lot more to write about now, which we love to see it. So um, definitely the organization has changed in the direction that it's going, um, obviously, since it was purchased. Uh, a new strategy in drafts. Uh, looking for different kinds of players in terms of skill sets, and um, just uh, just a complete 180. So I, I've had to really alter my writing style a little bit in that regard. But um, uh, it, it's it's been a, a project and a process. There's more competition now on the writing front and on Twitter. People, more people are talking about the minor league system. But um, it's a challenge that I love to 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 approach. It's a challenge that I love to try to conquer and. Uh, Everybody out there that writes about prospects, I mean, I wouldn't be where I am without these guys because, I mean, I take a little bit from everything that I see. Guys like Ian, uh, Ian Smith, who covered the prospects for the draft. Uh, Eli with Fish Stripes is another one of my good friends. I really bounce my ideas off of him a lot. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, uh, it's really a team effort. And uh, even in the writing community, the Marlins team, and this beat is really, really fun to, uh, to be a part of. And I'm lucky enough that they credential me and let me come with the, uh, my name on a on a placard and I get to act official and, you know, I, I get to be around these guys and really get to know them on a personal level. So uh, on top of being a fan, it's, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, it's a job and uh, we do a lot, but uh, we love to do it. So. Sounds awesome. I, I need to get my, get my name on some sort of placard and, you know, need to get that sorted. Uh, I don't know who I need to contact, but someone will know someone, but <laughs> yeah, I mean that, that first year when, I, when, I, when they told me yes in the credential and I got in those locker rooms and around those players and in the dugouts for the first time, it's an eye opener because it's like, wow, I'm standing next to Don Mattingly. I'm interviewing Don Mattingly. And you, you're, you're thinking about these things and it's like, it's happening, but then it's not really happening. But when you get used to it, that kind of, they just become people. And, you know, I, I mean, as, as much as anything, as great as these guys were at baseball, they're people and they're, uh, the Marlins organization has some great people in it. So it's fun. <laughs> it sounds it. What's a, who's the favorite guy that you, you interview or you spend time talking to over the years? Um, I mean, over the years, I, I've, I've gained some, some really good friends uh, out of the organization. A um, couple guys aren't really aren't here anymore when they were, when the team got bought, cuts had to be made, victim of numbers. Still went on to be good baseball players. Uh, a guy that's on the team now that is one of my favorite people to talk to is Josh Chisholm, just because he's so full of energy, so full of life. He loves baseball, does everything right. That guy, I don't think, can do a thing wrong right now in my mind because he's great on the field. He's great off the field. He's amazing with fans, and he's a, he's a great guy to talk to. Uh, another guy who I really like uh, talking to and, and uh, you know, just chit-chatting with before and after games is Brian Miller. Um, another guy who I've seen for a while because he was here. Uh, he's been here for a while. Um, I think 2015, 2016, he was drafted, something like that. So he's been here for almost as long as I've been doing my, my thing. So he was one of the first guys that I ever really talked to and interviewed and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, those two guys are, are great. But, um, 
there you'll, you'll be hard pressed to find a guy who's not easy to talk to and never turns down an interview. Always glad to talk to you. Always, always, always just, just great. I mean, I haven't really had a bad experience yet. No, so. sounds good. And it's nice. I mean, that's, I guess at that level, it's, you need to be humble, right? I mean, in the minor leagues, you're trying to do all the right things, you know, do your work, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You can't really be a dickhead and, and whatever in the clubhouse. At right. The same time, right. <laughs> right. You got it right. Yeah. I mean, uh, like you said, these guys want the exposure at the level they're at. Mm. They want to talk. They want to get their name out as much as they want to show it on the field. They want to show it before and after games as well and talking and, and, uh, and, uh, uh, rubbing shoulders with the right people and uh, like I said just getting their name out as much as they can so yeah, yeah. definitely the, hum the humble stuff goes into it for sure when when we're kind of obviously we're on the we've hit the pause button right now for COVID so that is what it is and we'll see how things play out this year but you know let's go back to last year a normal year a normal baseball year um, a normal year in general um, what does what does your average week look like like how often are you get into games where are you going to most um, how does that look for you? Right. Well, unfortunately, I'm not a guy that's part of the beat full time. Um, I have a regular, regular person job where I have to work for, you know, more money than I make doing this. So uh, I, feel I, you're there. I feel you're paying on that one. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I would love to be one of these guys like, you know, uh, Jordan McPherson from the Miami Herald or Joe Fasaro who gets paid to do this full time. And those guys have earned where they are. They're the experts. Um, I'm just there, you know, kind of next to them as the as the minor league reporter but uh those guys are great to talk to too but average week i mean when i'm not at my day job that's where i am i'm out at the fields uh i'm spring training i'm on the backfields uh especially when minor league camp starts you know i'll peek my head in for the later innings of a spring training game where the prospects come in in the fifth sixth inning um minor league season um i'm mostly up in jupiter um especially later in the season when gcl starts um, I love getting back to those backfields and covering those deeper guys who I'm sure we'll get into uh, a little bit. Um, I try to make it up to Jacksonville at least twice a year. Um, and I had plans this year to make it out to Wichita. Mm. Obviously that's probably not going to happen. So maybe next year on that. Um, I was in New Orleans twice while they were an affiliate. So like I said, I try to trip out at least once or twice a year to get to each affiliate. Um, it's happened most years that I've done this, but other years money wasn't really right, stuff like that. So, um, yeah, most of my time spent in Jupiter um, and Jacksonville and really just stay here in Florida. And then when a debut happens, I get out to Marlins Park and cover that. I did Yamamoto's last year, um, you know, so stuff like that. Uh, September is a big month for us with call-ups. So, yeah, I mean, like I said, I try to get around to each, each place and see everybody. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, I was going to ask, actually, just that's a nice segue, just talking about Yams. Um, I was going to ask from, from last season, um, who of the guys who were called up, who surprised you the most, either in, a, either in a good or a bad way? But hopefully it's a good way. But of those guys that actually made it up, who was the one that stood uh, Yeah, I, I, would, I would definitely say Jordan because this guy came right in. I was at that game. He went, what, seven innings and didn't give – I don't think he gave up a run. Or if he did, he gave up, like, one run. So, yeah, I mean, his debut was awesome. Uh, I believe he did it against the – geez, I'm going back here and dating myself. I want to say he did it with the against the Braves. Um, I may be go, wrong there. I'm going to go Cardinals. I, for some reason, it's got, I got Maybe. to Cardinals. It, it might have been the Cardinals, Braves. Um, not sure. I, I forget. I know it was against a team that was in the thick of it uh, and right there competing. So, to do it against a good team the way he did it was was – 
was uh was impressive um and then really came out to camp this year and i mean i i can't i can't even believe he was still fighting for a spot because you know after reports got out on him maybe dwindled a little bit last year um but like i said he first stint in the majors did everything right in the minors um and uh i was really impressed with him so yeah i would definitely say yamamoto really impressed me last year yeah, and that was, I think that's what took me to that question. Um, I, I was going to ask you, and you were talking about Yams, and when I think of a standout player, Yams was the major surprise, wasn't it? it just, I don't think we were expecting him to accellerate that quickly um, from, you know, from double A, I guess, um, to, to, to get him right up to the bigs quickly and, and, and performing and looking at home. So that was good. Um, in terms of the Marlin system right now, how, how would you summarize where we're at? And equally, where do you have them ranked? I mean, everyone will have different rankings and stuff, but how do you see the rankings for the Marlins now? Right. I mean, it's, it's definitely a team that's on the brink of something really special because you look at the organization now and you look at guys like the guys that are close, right? Jazz Chisholm, Monte Harrison, um, you know, guys like that, uh, Sixto Sanchez, who's probably not that far away, maybe this year, maybe next year, probably next year with everything that's gone on. Even Edward Cabrera, who I think could contribute as early as this coming season, or could have. Um, but then you look underneath that, and it's, it's, it's not just one layer, right? It's, it's a multifaceted system with multiple layers. So you look at those guys that are close, but then you also get excited about, okay, when those guys are veterans, there's a whole other crop of players coming right after them. You know, that, like Nassim Nunez, uh, guys that were drafted last year, such as him, uh, guys in the international pool. I like Victor Richard Jr., uh, who's 18 years old. Uh, I even like guys like the huge physical specimen of Omar LeBron, uh, which is one of my favorite names in the organization. Uh, you look at uh, Caballero, all these names from the international pool, which maybe a lot of people haven't heard of yet. Mm-hmm. These guys that played in the GCL last year and in Batavia last year at the low levels that could have as much if not equal to the amount of talent that these guys are that are close right now by the time they get here uh jose salas is another one we haven't even seen this guy play yet but he's gonna he's a top 20 prospect in the organization so you look at stuff like that and you look at the rankings the right now rankings for me i would say probably a third or fourth system in the future i think it could be even higher so just the fact that there's different layers to the organization and the fact that this is going to be a good minor leagues prospect system and a pool that players want to be a part of for a long time players from the international systems that want to sign here players that we draft as high schoolers that may take a little bit less money than they normally would have taken such as evan fitterer who high school players always get paid over their slot value but to take them away from their college commitment but maybe in the future with Derek Jeter and everybody here building what we're building and michael hill and everybody else Maybe those players will take a little bit less money to sign with the Marlins. And that's a great, great indicator of a great minor league system. So for me, that's what I get excited about. That's mm-hmm. what I really love to see is, like I said, just the different layers to the organization that make this a team that's going to be a good feeder system, not just for the next couple of years, but maybe for the next five to 10 years. That's what I really, really get excited about. Wow, there we go. I mean, uh, if you've already got them at maybe third or fourth with a, with a projection to go even higher, I mean – it, it, it seems incredible to say in, what, 10 years or so, um, you know, the Marlins may, may have a number one farm system. It, could be, it seems crazy to say that um, for sure. But, you know, it's possible. What do you 
I guess we've talked about a lot of the, the key players and some of the names, but are there any glaring weaknesses that exist in the system right now that you can think of? Um, I mean, there, there's some thin positions. Um, you know, there's, there's thin positions all over baseball, especially at the high skill positions. A lot, all, most organizations go through that, um, such as a highly offensive catcher. Uh, obviously, you know, we have Alfaro right now at the big league level. Past him, there's Will Banfield, which is a good name. Really struggled last year, though, um, mm. offensively, great defensively. Uh, so, I mean, if, if anything, I would say an offensive catcher after Jorge Alfaro. Um, obviously, not everybody's J.J. Real Mucho, you know, so you got to kind of temper your expectations when it comes to an offensive catcher. Um, same thing I would say past, past, you know, maybe one or two guys at shortstop. You know, you have Jazz and you have guys like that. But past them, there's Jose Salas behind him, but he's a long way away. So, you know, if a Jazz Chisholm goes down or if a Jorge Alfaro goes down, who you go to in the minor league system, right now there's not a lot past maybe, like I said, Jazz at shortstop and maybe Banfield at catcher. Those two positions aside, the outfield depth is ridiculous. Mm. Um, we've really improved at other positions. The, the, the reliever depth is insane. Uh, you're talking about starting the season with a guy like possibly Yamamoto in the bullpen. You know, if depending on who wins that competition, you know, that's what we were looking at at the end of spring training is who's going to win that last starter spot. And Yamamoto wasn't a sure thing. So you look at that and you say, wow, a guy like Jordan Yamamoto, who like we just talked about, came up and did what he did last year, especially in his debut. And even in a couple games after that, he may not make this rotation. So that just speaks to the depth of what we have pitching wise and the depth in the outfield. I mean, you're look, you were looking at that competition between best friends, Lewis Brinson and Monte Harrison both of whom showed out exponentially in the minor leagues. So Brinson had a struggle at the major league level. Harrison we haven't seen yet. Harrison was going insane stealing bases in spring training. And this guy's one of the biggest guys in the organization. Definitely one of the most athletic, though. So I look at things like that, and it's like, on those fronts, I don't see weakness because there's just so much depth and so much talent. And we haven't seen a lot of it yet, but it's like a lot of these guys in the organization say, including Michael Hill, you're going to see it. Bruce Sherman even said it himself, who's not probably around the games a lot. You see him here and there. He even knows you're going to see the talent that they're going to put out. And it's, it's going to be a big, big, big day for this Marlins franchise when that happens. So I tell you, you're right to, to mention the outfield. The, the amount of depth there is, is nuts. I, I'm half. I, I I seem to think that the Marlins think they're playing fantasy baseball and they're going to play five outfielders or something because it is it is crazy crazy deep. I was you know how, how do you how do you pick you know you then then their first first round draft pick last year was an outfielder as well with Blade, so you know one of their first round picks. So yeah, that that is exciting. They've obviously they they traded for Jesus as well, that another outfielder. So it's absolutely nuts, um, but exciting uh, as as you say. Going back to spring, because really that's, that's the last, I guess, real baseball that we've seen. Um, and for me, I was watching most games because there were they're good times for the UK. So it meant that I could watch a lot of them. Um, and what was obvious was the games were close uh, up to a point. Then you'd have like your second wave of like teams, I guess, prospects or depth. And then that's when the Marlins would just blow away all the other teams because our second wave playing in spring was miles better than all the other teams and we'd just blow them away. 
it was incredible to watch. What were your main takeaways though from from spring and, and I guess who kind of popped out to you in in, in during those games, uh, although it was curtailed, obviously. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, the way that these guys came out, especially the younger guys that I that I write about and follow most, um, the way these guys came out and showed out immediately in spring training. Um, you know, you had Monte Harris, and I think he stole like three bases or two or two bases in his first game uh, in St. Lucie, which I was there for. And then you had him stealing like by by the first week of spring training, he had like six stolen bases. <laughs> you know, and the bat was right there with it um definitely he really showed that he wanted he wants to be a part of this team and i i thought and i still do think especially with an expanded roster um which they're talking about uh that he's going to be a part of that i guess it's going to be a 50-man roster instead of a 40-man ro- or whatever third 40-man roster instead of a 25-man whatever they said in this whole or you know thing that's going on with trying to figure out roster size i definitely think monte is going to be there Mm-hmm. Um, I think he would have won the competition over Lewis Brinson, personally, from what I saw off of spring training and the way he conducted himself in the backfields. I think Monte had that job in the bag. So definitely he showed out to me. Um, Blade, um definitely made adjustments from where he was uh, with the Hammerheads last year. Um, you know, it's not uncommon for a guy to come to the Florida State League and especially a guy straight out of a draft like he was and – uh, struggle with the bat. Uh, it's an extreme pitcher's league. Uh, most of the parks really, really favor fielders. Um, the surfaces aren't fast. Um, you know, you get a lot of rain in Florida, so the surfaces, you know, you know, you get a lot of time in the sun, a lot of time in the rain, so they're really neutral surfaces. Uh, most of the fields have great drainage down here. So all that being said, without getting too technical on it, it's a very, very defensive-minded league. So to see a guy come up, like him and not really do a lot with the bat. I think he hit like 220 or 230, whatever it was. It's not really an indicator of the kind of player he's going to be. I think the first sign indicator of the player he's going to be is what we saw in spring training. The swing is gorgeous. Um, It's simple. It's straight through. Uh, Approaches with, you know, straightforward stance, bending the knees. All the mechanics are great. Uh, Not that much of a front leg trigger. Doesn't get out in front too much. Uh, Vision's great. Um, as far as his offensive skill set, uh, you talk about holes. I don't see much of a hole in it. Um, he takes what he can get. He's going to hit for a good average. I think he's going to be a doubles first hitter, but definitely a guy that can reach fences. So, uh, like I said, he's a guy that just goes with it, takes what he can get, and puts the bat out, and normally finds the barrel. So, love to see that. I definitely think he showed exactly the kind of player he's going to be in those couple what was that first couple weeks of spring training mm-hmm. um i think when he gets up to double a which will probably happen when minor league season gets started again you'll start seeing the stats pop up for him uh a last guy i'll say another outfielder uh gerard Encarnacion, best power in the organization hands down 100 percent um we talked don mattingly uh after a game in um i believe it was in west palm um and it was a game where he had hit another monstrous home run i think it was a grand slam um, uh, late in the game. It was another one of those games in spring training where these young guys came in in the fifth, sixth inning, and the Marlins were losing, and they were facing off against top prospect pitchers. They weren't facing off against, you know, the bottom of the barrel of the younger kids against teams. Um, they came back against uh, Liberator from the Cardinals in one game, uh, pinned him for like five runs, and he's a top prospect for them. But anyways, uh, yeah, it was another one of those kind of games, and Harar hit a bomb. And I asked Mattingly afterwards, 
how big is this guy's power potential and how far can he go? Uh, and he said all he needs is the ability to go opposite field. He is extreme pull uh, right now. If he gains that, that ability to hit, an op- to hit opposite field and cover the entire plate, which we saw him do on his first home run in Port St. Lucie, that first game in Port St. Lucie, he went yard, and it was oppo. So if he gains that ability consistently, he's, the, he's by far, far and away the best power bat and will be the best power bat in the organization and a atypical 4-5 hitter. Um, if the NL does go DH, that's mm. where he's going to be. He has a great arm. Defensively, routes are a little meh. But, um, yeah, if the, if the NL gets DH, which the, is what it's looking like, mm. um, especially this season coming up, um, that's a guy you're, you're going to see in that spot. Yeah, I, he, he's the one, when I think of spring, he was the one that truly popped the, I guess, I hadn't seen a lot of him. Didn't, I, I've heard the name, uh, and obviously it's a famous baseball name in general uh, in, in terms of the surname. So, you know, it was a recognizable name. I hadn't seen him play, but he really popped. And like you said, those, those huge home runs. I think I saw that Cardinals game as well, the one you're talking about. Um, so, yeah, he, he really impressed. And as, as well, the, the, the guy, the reliever, um, the big, massive reliever, um, Alex uh, Vessia. Alex Vessia. Mm-hmm. He, he was awesome too through spring. Uh, I thought he was re- he was really impressive. He looked he looked the real deal. I thought. Yeah, I wrote about it not too long ago. As the rain pounds me here in South Florida, um, <laughs> I wrote about it not too long ago. Uh, that uh, uh, up, he's cur- currently still is riding an inning streak of, including spring training, of something like thirty nine straight innings where he has not allowed a run. Wow. So. Yeah, the kind of st- the stuff is based off the changeup. The changeup is dead nasty. Um, mixes in a mid 90s fastball, 93, 94. Not a guy that's gonna like blow you away with velocity, but the, the break on his breaking pitches, especially that changeup, uh, is ridiculous. Mixes in a slider, too, I believe. Um, frisbee style slider. Um, extremely easy guy to catch. You talk to the catchers, they love catching him because he hits spots. Um, rarely gets away with a pitch. Um, yeah, it's it's a guy that that kind of came out of nowhere, mm. um, and that has just showed out. So, a guy that you like that's easy to rally around him, a guy that's easy to root for, and you'll definitely see him in the Marlins bullpen in the next year to year and a half. Yeah, is he is he as big as he looks on telly? Because he looks big. Ah, uh, I want to say he's like six foot two, two twenty. Oh, okay. Just I'm just. Guessing, I, I don't think he's that massive. I mean, he's not—he's not Sixto Sanchez or Jorge Guzman, George Guzman, excuse me. So he's not those guys, but yeah, he's got some bulk to him. <laughs> uh, to be fair, I was probably drinking a few too many IPAs, knowing me, so uh, my vision was probably impaired. Um, yeah, I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, that's um, I, I put on—I put out yesterday on Twitter before we spoke. I thought it was—it'd be good to get some names and some some guys to talk about for this podcast um, because as you've already highlighted there's just so many um, there's so many players but I, I guess there was three four questions I asked first one was who we're most excited about so we'll go through them who's the dark horse to be an elite MLB player who's most overrated and as well who was our favorite 2019 pick so with those four questions let's start on the one we're most excited about 
when I look at all the responses, and thanks to everyone who responded, it's good to hear, uh, hear from you guys. I would say mainly the consensus came down on Jazz Chisholm, I think, and I think that goes back to your view. I think you may have been in that camp also, that for the, the, the one prospect right now that we're most excited about, I think it's Jazz. The other notable mentions were Sixto, JJ Bladey, and then a left field one, not in terms of position, but um, uh, in terms of, I'd never heard of him, was uh, Perez, Yuri Perez. I don't even know who that is. <laughs> so those were the guys. Just, just talk me through those. I mean, Jazz for you was, was the one, but perhaps we've already talked about Blade as well. Let's, talk, let's touch upon Sixto and kind of get your take on where he's at and how he's progressing. Because I think that's, I mean, he's a name that a lot of people know about, I'm sure, but. How, how's he progressing in, in, in the system? Yeah, yeah. You know, obviously you know the name because of the trade came back uh, from the Phillies. So, um, yeah, I mean, the stuff's unquestionable. Like, there's, there's, no, there's no doubting the electricity in Sixto Sanchez's stuff. That's what he's known for. That's the guy he's going to be. He's a guy that can throw 100 with the first pitch all the way up to his 70th, 80th pitch. So, it doesn't disappear through his starts. Uh, from what we've seen, um, you know, uh, yeah, he, the, the main thing for me that kind of tempers my, my, uh, my expectations or my excitement uh, was the injury. Uh, you know, he went through the injury, uh, I believe, back with the Phillies, came here to the Marlins. Um, you know, it's, it's a throwing, I believe, shoulder injury. Um, so you look at that and you look at how slow the Marlins are going with him, didn't get into any games in spring training. Um, very light work on the backfields, basically just did a couple bullpens that I saw and the PFPs, which are the field work. Um, he looks good. He looks full speed. He's still popping the glove. Um, I don't even think they got him all the way up to hundred percent in terms of how hard he was throwing. Um, but it's a slow process for him. I will say I wasn't even sure personally looking at what he was doing, if he was going to be ready for the start of minor league season. Um, if he was ready for minor league season, I believe he probably would have gone back to double A, especially considering the weather in Wichita, Kansas, you know, early, early in, in a baseball season. Uh, that could really screw with his arm even more than already was before. Um, so I believe he was probably headed back to double A. Um, but yeah, uh, it, it's a guy to get excited about uh, because, uh, because plain and simple because of the electricity and the stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, the fastball is his anchor. Uh, he's got two breaking pitchers after that. So um, the velo separation is great on him uh, from triple digits down to as low as like 82, 81, 83, somewhere in that range. So you look at that kind of stuff and you look at how hard he is going to be to hit uh, if everything pans out and it's a guy to get excited about. So, yeah, um, I could definitely see where, why he's on that list. Yeah. I tell you, something you just said then, I'm going to save this in, in the memory bank for the future. Velo separation. Love that term. I'm going to use that in the future now. I, I, I completely understand what you're saying, but never heard that term. That's now. I'm going to use that. Keep, keep listening to the podcast in the future. I'll, I'll drop that in now and again. Um, if yeah, it's, it's, something, it's something I really look at, uh, especially with younger players. Um, because, you know, you don't have to throw 100 like Sixto Sanchez to be a good pitcher in the major leagues. Mm -hmm. You could be, you know, a 95 to 72 guy. And because of that velo separation, 
and especially if you're changing eye levels, you know, you can bury pitches in the dirt. You don't even have to come right after hitters if you have that kind of separation and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's, it's something that I really look at when I'm evaluating players and um, something I believe a lot of scouts should look at too. So. Yeah, it makes, it makes sense. Who's, of all of the pitching prospects or starters in, in the system, who's your favorite? We, t- we touched on Sixto, but, you know, is there, is there someone else we should be watching, watching out for? Yeah, I mean, like I said, with the depth, it's ridiculous. I mean, uh, a, a guy that I believe could be – I mean, they're very close in talent level. Um, this guy doesn't throw quite as hard as Sixto, but he's right there with him. And we saw him in spring training. You probably saw him as well, Edward Cabrera. Hmm. Um, I believe he could be a little bit further ahead than Sixto, actually, in terms of his progression because of where Sixto was with the injury and everything. So um, that's a guy that I really, really, really get excited about uh, watching pitch. And then behind him, um, you have Trevor Rogers. Um, you have uh, Jordan Holloway, Braxton Garrett, uh, who's another favorite of mine, just because of the deception that he has in his stuff. Um, uh, the mechanic, mechanically deceptive is another thing that I really look at when it comes to pitchers. Braxton has it, hides the ball, high leg kick, uh, stuff like that. Um, it's straight to the plate. Uh, basic three-quarter release so yeah uh i would say braxton's another guy to really get excited about um if you want to go deeper than that a guy we saw in spring training that probably isn't an ace but a guy that really surprised and has surprised me in the last couple years is dan Cassano. i call him the italian stallion i know him and his girlfriend don't like that term but i love that term so i'm going with it so (laughs) dan Cassano, the italian stallion i promise he's going to be a part of the rotation if not the bullpen maybe if, if not the rotation definitely the bullpen for the marlins in the next year to year and a half there we so, go yeah. this is why we're doing this pods we're, we're, we're gonna there's obviously a timestamp associated with this podcast that means we can listen to it back in a year's time and we can analyze some of this uh, some of these shouts that's the beauty of it um let's let's segue nicely because that was a perfect one into dark horses because that was again a question asked yesterday of who, who in the system is a dark horse to become an elite MLB player? There, there were a ton of names that, that popped out. Um, I'll, I'll try and rattle through them, but we had in there, we had Cameron Meisner, Peyton Burdick, Jose Salas, Thomas Jones, JD, JD Orr. And then you also threw in, I think, three or four. So, I mean, what that, I guess like what that comes back to is, there's a lot of names. There's a lot of talent. It's a deep system. And um, there's probably a few guys here that are, are some way off that maybe people are thinking really do have the potential to, to make it big, let's say. I mean, of this group, uh, do you want to pick out a few of those guys and perhaps um, you know, guys that you like or that you think are most likely? Uh, from that group that you said, Meisner definitely is there. Mm. Um, you know, did big things in college. Um, definitely has the skill set. I look at him and look at the way he plays and look at the way he swings at the bat. And I look at, obviously it's a big, big comparison. I look at a comparison for a guy like him, just based off the build. And like I said, the offensive skill set. he's also very good in the field, in the outfield. Um, I believe he can even play some first base and stuff like that. So that could be an option. Um, I really look at him and think of a guy like Christian Yelich, just based off the way he's, like I said, the build, the swing, the way he conducts himself, the way he swings the bat. Um, it's probably a doubles first kind of a thing, <laughs> pretty much like Blade, um, mm-hmm. a doubles first bat uh, that hits for average. He's selective. 
Um, like I said, he's good in the field. Uh, haven't seen a great deal from him because obviously he was just drafted last year. But from what we did see, he translated pretty well to the pros. Um, I believe he was in low A last year with Clinton. Um, so uh, Midwest League, easier place to hit in the minor league circuit. He did well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's the guy that, that came onto the scene and, and was able to get his stuff to translate pretty well at a, at a pretty young age in, in minor league baseball. So guys like that that come and show out like that automatically, they open your eyes. And, uh, you know, he was a first-round pick, competitive balance round. Uh, so, you know, you kind of expected him to, to come and, you know, and show that he can play immediately. Um, uh, never had any injury problems, stuff like that. So, yeah, definitely that's a guy to get excited about. I wouldn't necessarily consider him a dark horse just based off of his uh, where he was drafted and his pedigree in college. I would consider him more of a, I would say, high B-type prospect right now. Um, not really there, I wouldn't say, with Blade and guys like that um, that are at the top tier level, but not far away. So, uh, yeah, I wouldn't consider him a dark horse. I would consider him more of a should-be-close-to-a-sure thing kind of a prospect. Um, a guy, another guy on that list that you mentioned that I really like, we ha- who we haven't even seen play yet, but just based off of his age and what he's already shown, um, you know, overseas and stuff like that, and in workouts that he's done with the Marlins, um, is Jose Salas. Um, he's 18 years old. Got him uh, at 17 in the international draft. So it's a guy that's known especially for his glove. You look, he did a workout at Marlins Park after he was drafted last year and took ground balls in the infield, and it looked like he was – right up there with the best shortstops in the game at the hardest position to play. So, like I said, teenager. Yeah. Very impressive. Um, like I said, haven't seen him in any in-game action yet. Likely will this year. Saw a lot of him on the backfield. Um, it's a singles first average type swing, four average type swing. But with the bat speed, he can, he can easily collect multiple bases anytime he's up there. Um, Needs to do a lot of growing with the game, especially physically. He's a wiry little kid. He's mm-hmm. got to be not even six feet, maybe 180, 190, something like that, if that. So he's a little tiny, little wiry kid. Um, definitely has a lot of growing to do into his body. So when you look at young kids like that, you want to temper your expectations because you don't know where they're going to go, especially this kid's brand new to the country, let alone baseball in the country. So you want to look at international teenager picks like that and be like, you want to hope for the best. And Mm -hmm. the skill is definitely there, but you don't know if it's a short thing yet. So as a dark horse, yes, I can definitely see that. I think I had him on my list. Um, I can't remember who else you said on that list. Who else did you say? JD or I believe JD or, but there was, there was some other guys that, that, that you popped off, I think, uh, yesterday. Um, we had, and I, I hadn't even heard of any of these guys. So I think that was the point you were making earlier. We had in there, we had Peyton Colberston, <laughs> um, Luis, Luis Palacios, and Christopher Rodriguez. So, you know, yeah. guys, I've never heard of any of them three. <laughs> yeah, um, Colberston is a guy who the Marlins got in 2018 um, who would have been probably a top three, four round draft pick um and because of i think he had tendonitis and his throwing out throwing elbow i believe um caused him to slip and the marlins got him i believe in the eighth round like 240th or 237th or something like that overall in the draft 
Um, I don't know the exact number. I, I know it was right around there. Um, he went at first to the GCL and did well there. I think he had like a sub two ERA in like a couple games uh, in his draft year. Um, last year, he went to Clinton and had injury problems again. Um, I believe it was the same injury. Um, I think he only got into like 13 or 14 games, maybe 12 games, something like that. I don't know the exact stats. Um, after he got shut down, I kind of lost touch. But I, I think it was like if he only got into like 12 or 13 games uh, last year. Um, but watching him in sim games uh, on the backfields and in his bullpens when minor league camp was going this year, I'm really intrigued by him based off of the curveball. The curveball of Culbertson is 12-6. It has not high arc, but tight arc. Um, he can bury it, and he can throw it for a strike on both corners. Um, changes eye levels, which is another thing that I love to see. Uh, Velo-wise, he's probably right around 92, 93, uh, down to probably 72, 73 with the curveball. So, again, like I said, with the velo separation, definitely has it. As long as the health holds up for him, I think he has a big future as a mid-rotation starter, like mm -hmm. two, three, four starter. Um, obviously still got a lot to prove, still got to prove he can stay healthy for a full season. Haven't seen that yet from him. Um, but like I said, uh, tall kid, good arm has three, four pitches and the velo separation and the command and control. So, uh, a guy that I look at definitely as a dark horse, if he can stay healthy, um, Chris Rodriguez, I think I said, did I say Chris Rodriguez? Yeah. If I didn't, I should have. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Chris Rodriguez. Um, Another guy from that same time period, um, 2018, 2019, um, he was doing very well uh, after he struggled stateside in the beginning of 2019. Uh, seemed to figure it out, uh, you know, not too far into that season um, as far as baseball in America goes. Um, the rest of 2019, though, he was injured. Again, another guy. I'm going to go back to the health worries. Mm -hmm. um, He's a guy, again, that was back at camp this year, uh, and he came in and showed an amazing amount of strike zone knowledge. Uh, not a lot of swing and miss to him. He can always at least foul the ball off. Uh, he can play multiple positions in the infield. Um, he has already put a bit of muscle back on since missing the time that he missed with the injury. Um, we saw him take, uh, actually, one of his older teammates, um, or one of his uh, more further advanced teammates, I should say, deep in a sim in a sim game uh nick Nider, who's probably a top 10 prospect in the organization took him deep uh no doubter into the uh underbrush on the backfields here in jupiter um <laughs> so yeah like i said health permitting it's a guy that is a guy who plays skill positions uh like middle infield positions second base third base uh shortstop i think he's a guy who could stick at shortstop and hit for plus power so when you see that that's something that is rare to see uh, mm. power hitting shortstops um i think based off of what he's done in putting muscle on and getting back into shape since the injury i think it's a guy who should be considered a dark horse um but uh like i said the health's got to stay and uh that's what you always worry about when it comes to guys like that get hurt early in their career is if it's is it going to be an ongoing thing or can they put it past them so like i said if you can put it past them got the talent to do big things yeah um yeah. Uh, so yeah, those two guys for me. Um, who else did I say? Uh, you had Luis Palacios in there as well. Ah, yeah, Palacios. Okay, so 
I talked about this. I think you were there for the the seven guests, uh, the seven guests fan thing they did, which was awesome. Um, I believe I was asked by Daniel DeVivo, straightforward about this guy on that show. Um, for those of uh, obviously your listeners didn't see it because they didn't broadcast it, but I was asked specifically uh, by another great Marlins fan, Daniel, about Palacios and the story of my coming of knowledge of Palacios is. I believe one of my fun, my most fun stories since covering the Marlins. Um, when guys play overseas in these leagues, like the Dominican Summer League, Dominican Winter League, and stuff like that. Dominican Winter League's got a little more exposure, but the Summer League is what I mean. Um, Dominican Summer League, leagues like that. Uh, you know, these leagues that are going on while baseball in America is going on, there's not a lot of exposure for these guys. You see film here and there when a player himself posts it on Instagram or posts it on Twitter you know, from a track man or something like that, that they have going, you know, in one of the fields, it's not, there's, there's no fans around or anything like that. And it's basically just them playing on sandlots, which is what these leagues are mostly back in, uh, in uh, countries like that. Um, you, you, You kept hearing reports, especially around camp and especially around the organization of this guy, Luis Palacios. And I'm like, who is Luis Palacios? Like I knew we got him in the international draft, but I had no idea who he was. And I kept looking at his minor league baseball page and his stats, and he just kept throwing up zeros and kept throwing up zeros. And he was going seven, eight innings at a time and not allowing a run for months and months at a time. So I'm like, I want to know who this guy is. Mm. Then finally, the next year he comes to spring training and all of a sudden the legend of Luis Palacios is right in front of me. So it was fun for me because holy, wow, there he is. He's a real guy. Like he's not a legend. He's actually there. He's a real guy. So (laughs) A fun story, uh, a good kid. He's kind of a quieter kid. Um, lets his stuff speak for itself. Really soaks it in when he's here in spring training. Um, you know, he's, he's a guy that's right on the tops, uh, the, the door to the dugouts, watching the older guys pitch. Um, you know, uh, comes and makes it a point to come into the stands after his workouts to watch the older guys pitch, um, you know, and, and, and soak up as much as he can. So for me, that's a big thing for him is that he's showing the maturity at a young age to where he, you know, soaking in as much as he can and gaining as much knowledge as he can and bouncing ideas off his players, off his uh, fellow players and stuff like that. And uh, is really intuitive with the coaches, has to go through a translator a lot of the time, but, you know, puts in the work necessary to really be good and wants to be good. So for me, those, those indicators are a sign of a guy um, that, not only does the stuff on the field, but off the field as well. So yeah, Palacios, I believe is a guy, uh, you know, if he can prove it stateside when he gets here, which should happen or should have happened this year. I can't believe I'm still saying that. Mm-hmm. Um, it would have happened this year. He would have gotten, you know, probably, probably to low A, uh, maybe to Jupiter. Um, and uh, if he can make it translate to the, to the pros here uh, in, uh, in America, I think he's going to be very, very good. Yeah. So. Awesome. Well, it, it's awesome to hear from you and, and really digging deep into, into the Marlins farm system here for sure. I, I, and I, I don't want to dwell on this area for too long, but the most overrated player, a few names were knocking around, but the one I think consensus probably was, was Victor Victor, unfortunately, which I think is fair because the expectation levels were so high because of the amount of money and, you know, the name and his brother and all that type of stuff that went on. I guess it was a marquee signing for Vegeta and, and the new organization, let's say. Um, Victor Victor, I mean, he didn't play for a couple of years. So, you know, to, to kind of drop in and start playing pro ball, it's not easy for anyone. So, but what, 
did you see much of him last year? And equally, did you see much of him kind of, I guess, in spring and whatever? What, what are you thinking for, for Victor Victor next year or this year? Yeah, it, it's a guy that, that came in with a lot of fanfare. Obviously, the price tag um, with what we dropped on him traded guys away to get the international money to sign him. Didn't lose a ton in what we gave away uh, to get the pool money. But just based off how he was acquired and how he got here, yeah, you said he hasn't played in two years. And you knew he wasn't going to get here last year and come to Jupiter and immediately put on a show. You know, that doesn't normally doesn't happen. You know, th these guys don't come straight out of playing baseball, and especially in underdeveloped countries, and get here with the guys that have been in the facilities that they're in and pitching in major stadiums and even pitching in places like Jupiter, which has a gorgeous facility, you know, you don't it, – it's not really a thing for guys to come out of those countries, especially, like you said, not playing for two years or a year and a half, however long he didn't play. And they're not going to – he wasn't going to come here and hit 20 home runs. It wasn't going to happen. However, I will say from what I saw of him, I don't like the mechanics. He was high in his stance. Wasn't really low on the ball. Let the front foot do the work for him. Wasn't really a backloaded swing. Um, the swing itself is good. Can get a bit long because of the mechanics. Um, kind of glides into the ball at times. You know, stuff like that. That's why looking at those things, looking at him from behind the plate, just looking at him, uh, you know, and how he goes about hitting. Um, you know, I, I just didn't see the – the mechanical wherewithal for him to be this major, major player. Uh, that's why I have him on that list. Um, it's not because he didn't come here and hit every ball in sight. You knew he was going to struggle a little bit adjusting. It happens with every player that comes from those countries. So the fact, like I said, again, I want to, I want to really make this a point. The fact that he came here and struggled and didn't hit 300 or 280 or two, even 250, that shouldn't be a thing. That shouldn't, People shouldn't be worried about that. Fans shouldn't be worried about that. I know the coaches aren't worried about that. But for me, in the mechanics, I didn't see a star player. That's why I put him on that list. That's why I mentioned him in your question uh, on Twitter. I will say, though, he came back to spring training this year. He's much lower in the stance. You look at him in the cages. The swing is gorgeous. Great bat plane. Great swing path. It's built for plus-plus power. The question with him is, can he catch up and adjust mid-count? So can he take a first-pitch fastball and adjust to a third-pitch breaking ball? Can he take a first-pitch breaking ball or swing at a first-pitch breaking ball and learn to approach the fastball? Stuff like that. He really needs to gain, for me, the mid-count knowledge that is required in hitting at this level. So if he can do that, um, and, you know, learn to take a pitch or two early in counts and not make his eyes light up, learn to temper the bat a little bit. Um, definitely needs a little more strike zone knowledge and a little bit more uh, vision against uh, professional pitching. So if he can do that, um, I like the mechanical adjustments that I saw uh, in spring training. Um, I believe this year he probably would have been back in Jupiter, uh, maybe up to double A if we would have done a little bit better uh, down here. But um, he's not a bust at all. Definitely not. Shouldn't be considered that. Is he overrated? I will say yes. Um, just because of the terms of his signing. Yeah. So, 
yeah, for me, I can definitely see why he was put on that list. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think that just to kind of finish it off there on, on Victor Victor, I think what's nice is the fact that he's perhaps recognized or his coaches have recognized certain bits and he's come back with some changes, looking to implement them changes. And I think that's, that's part of the process, right? I mean, he dropped in, hadn't played for a few years, I guess, you know, coaches need to see what they're working with for a period. And then you start to implement change. I mean, that's just a natural approach to any kind of learning. Right. So I'm not, I'm not majorly concerned, but, um, and actually the signals are good that he's willing to come back, make some changes and, and kick on. So. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's hard to do too. I mean, baseball as hard as it is, but especially down here in major league, or I'm sorry, minor league baseball, you go through a lot of changes. I mean, we have a coaching change in Jupiter. I mean, there's coaching changes that happen almost every year. Mm -hmm. uh, most, most of the time, whole staffs go out. Uh, you know, you had your coaching change down here where, uh, you know, now it's going to be Mike Jacobs coaching the Hammerheads. It was uh, uh, Todd Pratt. Now it's going to be Mike Jacobs after only a single year. So, you know, you, you see those things and you see those guys that maybe these coaches that get a player like Victor Victor and they see what they see in him. And then you could get another guy come in, another different coach come in and say, oh, no, you're doing that right, but you're doing this wrong. So mm -hmm. you got to kind of pick and choose where your adjustments are being made as a player. You want to listen to your coaches and you want to gain as much knowledge as you can from everybody that you come across, but you also want to find your own way. So, like I said, it's a very difficult process in minor league baseball, especially coming out of a different country where you didn't grow up here, you didn't go to college here. Um, you know, these international guys that come here and succeed here, there should be a lot to be said for them because – like I said, they come into a completely unknown territory, completely unknown country. On top of playing baseball, they're learning how to live most of the time by themselves in another country. Most of the time, they're far away from their families. So you take all that into account. And yeah, Victor Victor's a little older. But I mean, he's a little bit more mature mentally. But on top of, every, on top of all of those things that you're doing in your personal life, now you've got to go out and try to do your job. And you've got to try to be good at your job. And you've got to try to be good at your job by going against everything that you've known. So Mentally, you know, it could be a little bit crazy when it comes to minor league baseball players that get signed internationally. So, like you said, I'm definitely not panicked about Victor Victor. I would put him in the overrated category simply based when he got here, he did all the workouts. You know, he was kind of paraded around a little bit, stuff like that. They had his contract signing on TV. You know, you wanted to see him come here and really, really be good. But in the back of my mind, I wanted the same thing. I knew he wasn't going to come here and immediately go off. This coming year, I think is going to be a telltale sign for him. Um, can he adjust? Did coaches see what they needed to see? And did they do the work with him? He is putting in the work. I can tell you that. He was one of the first guys back out when the Marlins facility opened again. He's doing the work at home. You see him on Instagram and everything. Um, he's working out every day. So, yeah, definitely I think this coming year is a big year for him. But like I said, I'm not worried. Yeah, awesome. Great, great summary. And let's, um, conscious of time, um, the, I guess the final question um, was looking back at the 2019 draft. And, and this was a mixed bag. And I think, in, and, and what, I, what I mean is the favorite pick from the 2019 draft was the final question. Um, the, the answers were very mixed, which says to me, we had a great draft because so many answers were coming in of different players that either people liked or, or whatever it may be. So let's kind of talk about the 2019 draft and then we'll just kind of have a quick look at the 2020 draft. Um, yeah. so the names, the names that kind of came up, I mean, 
they're all familiar names, but really there was some love for, for Blade naturally. Um, Nunez was in there, Meisner, Burdick, and, and, and Chris Mockmer as well. So, you know, plenty of guys getting love. Um, who, who was your, remind me who your one was, your favorite 2019 pick? Oh, uh, I have to look back at the tweet. I mean, there's so many guys from that draft that is just like, it was just, I, I, there wasn't a pick that I really didn't like in that draft. Um, hold on. I'm going to look back at it. Cause I had a couple, you'll have to edit this, but <laughs> hold on. <laughs> oh, I haven't told you the rules. There's no editing in this podcast. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> it's a one take show. Um, All right. So, I mean, I, I had, I had a, uh, a couple of the guys that a lot of other people had, but then I threw in an extra one that maybe uh, some of you guys haven't heard about. Um, I had Blade and Burdick. Um, Blade, obvious. We already went through it. Um, Peyton Burdick. I did mention Harar has the best power ceiling in this organization, and I do believe that. Um, but Burdick is not a guy, is a guy that's not far behind. Mm. Um, he's a big, stocky kid, did huge things, so many collegiate records where he went to college. Um, and he actually is teammates with another guy that we mentioned, J.D. Orr. Um, so, yeah, this guy at Wright State University. Um, so, yeah, it's a guy that, like I said, is a big, stocky kid. The, the swing is exponential. Like, I can't say enough about Peyton Burdick's swing. Um, me and a buddy of mine who does uh, work for Fish Stripes and Prospects 365, he's kind of like our baby. So <laughs> we're there for every one of his BBs. Um, he is a guy who gets out and another guy who goes about his work, does his work. And he's a guy who's also even in the first, in his first year as a player, in his first year in this organization, he's a guy that's giving hitter, other hitters advice. So wow. that's how good his swing is. So he's in the cages and he's looking behind the cages and he's back there with the coaches and he's speaking into the cage and giving guys advice on how to hit. So you see things like that. Wow. And then he gets in and he took, I believe it was Braxton Garrett in a sim game took him yard so yeah when you're seeing stuff like that this guy who's first year in the organization first camp and he's going out and taking a top tier prospect in the organization yard you can't say enough and it wasn't a one-time thing um obviously those stats aren't recorded but i wish they could be because mm -hmm. i believe we saw him go yard like three four times on the backfields in spring training wow. so it's a guy to get excited about for sure um a guy that came from kind of an unknown school, not really unknown, but a school kind of making its way, um, you know, talking to their coaches. Um, I did a, a post-draft thing about uh, all the picks, and I talked to a couple of their coaches. Um, uh, Chris Metzger was one of them. I'm sorry, sorry, Nate Metzger, excuse me, uh, was one of them, was their hitting coach. And he says that this guy definitely has the future to be a bright, bright star in a major league outfield. And obviously you want to not go too far based off of one spring training, but I mean, mechanically, he's there. He has a good outfield arm. Like I said, the swing is amazing. Um, built for over-the-fence power, 100%. Um, not too much uppercut. Not too much swing and miss to him, do I see, in the future. Um, obviously, he's got to make his way against big league stuff. Um, and using wood bats, of course, is another big thing. But the fact that he's getting out there and, and, and going yard against his, the top-tier prospects in this Marlins organization, that, that's something that shouldn't be discounted, no matter where you are in spring training. So – that's a, definitely a name that I see uh, and definitely agree with a lot of your, your readers that he's going to be – he's one of those pieces that's just another part of this multifaceted Marlins outfield depth. So, I mean, 
in years to come, <laughs> spring training battles are going to be really fun. And he's got, he's going to be there with it. I agree. I mean, um, this one was already fun. Like, uh, the, you know, the battles <laughs> were, were heating up this year for sure. So yeah. It'll be fun. Yeah. Um, could be crazy. The last guy I threw in there for you, um, on the, uh, that I threw in, I think I was probably the only one, uh, was Troy Johnston. Um, a guy who went to another small school and, uh, believe he was hurt in college uh, a little bit. Uh, but, uh, he got in uh, full seasons in each of his last two years. Um, he uh, hit 300 uh, in, uh, I, th I think, all two or, th two or three of his years uh, in college. I think he went to Gonzaga. Yeah, Gonzaga. Um, uh, yeah, so uh, a guy that did big things in college um, uh, was hurt his first year and got into uh, two full seasons after that injury. Um, fell down draft boards because of the injury. Um, you know, when that hap when it happens to college players, you could be the best prospect in baseball and you're going to fall. Uh, when you get hurt, you're going to fall. That's just the way of it in, in baseball drafts. Um, but like I said, he's a guy that the Marlins got as a potential steal. He's a 17th round draft pick. Um, and it's a guy that plays all another outfielder, of course. Um, a, guy, a guy that plays all three outfield spots. Um, the arm's good. We saw him playing um, against uh, some older competition in spring training. Um, really simplified approach. Um, you know, a little bit of uppercut to the swing, uh, promotes barrel contact with it um, in scouting him. Um, he's got a little bit of swing and miss to him just because of the uppercut action, like I just mentioned, to the swing. Uh, but I think that could be, uh, you know, leveled out when he gets older. So, um, the, yeah, like I said, it's an unheralded pick, 17th rounder, mm. uh, late in the draft. But a guy that came in and, and did well in Batavia, um, hit 277 with a 373 on base percentage. So, I mean, like I said, it's one season, you know, he was in college, um, you know, three years. So uh, a kid that, you know, you, you don't really base a ton off of one short season, but uh, good first sign indicators from him um, translated well to the pros, which, yeah, I mean, you don't, you don't like to put too much stock into it, but if you can translate well from college, especially after an injury uh, to, the, to uh, any level of professional baseball, uh, it's a good first sign indicator that you're going to be, that you're going to be uh a piece to be watched and uh i think uh for a 17th round pick that just proves the level of scouting prowess and the level of knowledge that went into last year's draft where we could have potentially gotten a quality player as late as the 17th round so yeah those three guys for me are, are the big ones from last year's draft but every pick in that draft i mean they all they all bring something to the table so yeah that's what you're looking for so then, and how much, uh, how much uh, attention or how closely do you follow the players like pre-draft? So like, I mean, there's so many players, it's crazy, but you know. Yeah, how, I how mean, uh, I'm, it, the fact of, of the draft, I love the draft. I do love the, the Major League Baseball draft. It's fun. Uh, kids' dreams come true. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm a guy who used to cover high school baseball. Uh, a couple of players I followed in high school down here in South Florida and covered in high school. Uh, Jesus Lozardo. Um, I got the back end of Anthony Rizzo at Douglas. Um, so yeah, when you see guys like that, that their dreams are made out of high school, it's like, that's amazing. Like you're talking about 16, 17 year old kids and their whole life is made. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, their parents can move out of the suburbs into nicer houses. Uh, you know, they're set pretty much financially after they sign their deal. Um, and some of these kids come from pretty meager upbringings. Um, like I said, I covered a couple of kids in high school who went to, 
you know, inner city schools and stuff like that, that were part of RBI programs. And now they're playing major league baseball. So that facet of the draft to where on top of being a baseball player, these guys are still people and they still have their personal lives and they still have their families. And when you see a guy like that, that gets taken out of an inner city and his whole life is made and his whole life is still in front of him. Hmm. And his whole life has changed just by a couple of words spoken into a microphone. That's amazing. So I love the major league baseball drafts for that reason. In terms of covering it, I really look at projections as to like maybe three or four guys that we could get with our first, second, third round picks. And I do my reporting on those guys. Um, guys, like I said, like my buddy Ian, um, he is a really great source for um, things like that, like pre-draft stuff, scouting high schoolers. Um, I also like Perfect Game. It's another great source for studying uh, players that are that are coming into the drafts and what they've done in showcases and stuff like that. Um, but in terms of me covering like 80 players that are going to be drafted or that could potentially be drafted by the Marlins, I don't really have the time for it. Um, like I said, I, I, I researched, you know, three or four guys uh, that we could get in the first three or four rounds. And I kind of do one or two pieces on it. And then I do a post-draft piece. So I'm not really a major, major player in that regard. Yeah, it makes, makes sense. Final, final question just on that. Um, uh, let's, you're in the hot seat. It's, you know, 2020 draft, shortened draft this year. Marlins are sitting at three. Who are you taking? Who's that, who's that ideal pick? Well, ideal, yeah, I mean, uh, probably, yeah, there's, there's two teams picking in front of you, right? But, um, you know. Yeah, uh, I mean, I would love to say uh, we, the Marlins are going to get Spencer Torkelson, but I definitely don't think that's going to happen. I think he's going to be the first overall pick. Um, I think the likely selection for the Marlins is the guy that has ace in his name and can be an ace on the mound, Ace Lacy. I think this is the guy that the Marlins are most likely going to get. Um, like I said, I haven't really done a ton of research. Um, I've seen a couple videos on him. I've seen three or four pitches out of him. Um, I definitely think the stuff looks like it plays to the major league level. It's a guy who has ace potential for sure. Um, and another guy that's going to be in the fold for a long time with, with this second wave of Marlins players, like I mentioned before, uh, um, that would be a very welcome asset in that regard. So, uh, like I said, it's a guy who, who is definitely a fit for the organization. You can never have too much pitching. So, yeah, I think Ace Lacy has got to be the pick. I like it. He's got Ace in his name. I mean, that's, you know, you've, you've, you've nailed it. has to be. Um, listen, before we let you go, um, what's, what's happening now, everyone has to face the final, the quick fire round, the fish across the pond, quick fire round. So I've got a few lined up for you, um, short or one word answers. So let's, let's finish off there. Um, first one off the bat, wind surge or baby cakes? Wind surge for sure. (laughs) You've got the hat. <laughs> yes, I do. Uh, you know, I know there wasn't a lot of excitement about it. A lot of people in Wichita weren't happy about it either. I talked to a couple of people that uh, are so happy to see baseball returning, no matter what the name is. But um, they weren't really stoked about it, I'll say, uh, when they first announced it. I like it. I think it fits. Um, you know, you're right there in the middle of Tornado Alley. You know, it's weather-related. Surge, meaning surge forward. They're a minor league baseball team. Perfect. I like it. I like it. Perfect. So, I'm, I'm in the minority, but I like it. 
No, no, no. I don't think. I don't think so. I think it's fine. Um, best ever Marlins draft pick. Wow. <laughs> oh my God. You're you're gonna date me like that. Jeez. Uh, I mean, there's a lot. I mean, not too many from the last regime, right? Um. Jeez. <laughs> I mean, there's a, I'll throw in a couple that should be considered in this. Jeez. Uh, yeah, let's have the short list, and then we're going to put it out. Yeah, I mean, I mean, put on Twitter and see in, what in, in the short term. Is. In the short term, I think Bladé is going to be one of them, right? Based off everything that we've said, and just based off of his personality. Uh, so I think Bladé is definitely a guy who could be there. Um, I mean a guy who went on to do big things or is going to do big things that I think should be considered is Chris Paddock. Um, he's a more recent one, but yeah, I definitely think Chris Paddock should be considered in that list. Um, obviously he's not with the team anymore, but is primed to do big things for, for the Padres and has the nickname, the sheriff. So how can you argue with that? Right. Um, I mean, another guy that I'll throw in, Jeez, <laughs> it's hard because I mean, there, there's a lot, but I mean, from the last regime, there's really not that many. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's it's tough. Um, Adrian Gonzalez, want to throw that one in there? Adrian Gonzalez, I think that could be on the list. Um, got mm-hmm. traded early in his Marlins career, but uh, went on to do big things. Um, I'll throw Josh Beckett in just because based off of 2003. Um, obviously did bigger things with other teams. I mean, did huge things with the Marlins in those years, but probably did a little bit bigger things with like the Red Sox and stuff like that. So throw him in. Uh, I mean, that's probably it for me, unless you want to throw in Yelich, which I don't like to bring up that name. Um, <laughs> Let's move on. Let's move on. <laughs> oh, and, 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 and just because, because I can never end a question without mentioning this name, Jose Fernandez. Okay. So there you go. That was a given. Um, favorite minor league jersey? Current or ever? Ooh, current. I still have mine to this day. I actually, it was actually given to me by a player uh, who's no longer with the organization, Kyle Barrett. Um, the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp jersey, the white one, is one of my favorites. Um, if you want to go through to other teams... Uh, they're a Florida State League rival, but I like the Daytona Tortugas jersey, um, the sky blue one, because I love that sky blue color, especially during gay games. And this is at you, Marlins, wear the sky blue jersey during regular season games. Um, throw I think in Mickey, one Rowe. Mickey Rowe said the same thing. He was, he yeah. was saying, we, we've got to wear these in, in the regular season. They just look too good. Throw in one more. Um, I'll say the Clinton Elotes jersey from last year. The Copa Copa Le de Region or whatever they whatever they whatever they call it. Um the thing where they bring in uh you know they bring in alternate logos and alternate jerseys from uh uh, uh different cultures. So yeah, the Clinton Elotes one that they did last year with the street corner was really cool. Uh, just because of the different color scheme. So I like that one still. Nice. Well, I mean there's a lot of jerseys to pick uh, down in the mines, yeah. right? <laughs> it's for sure. No, yeah. Yeah, um, all the uh, all the special jerseys they do, Star Wars jerseys, all kinds of stuff. So yeah. 
Well, this, this question is maybe an impossible one, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Favorite World Series, 97 or 2003? Ah, I mean, they were both amazing times to be a fan. I mean, I was young in 97. Uh, uh, you know, I was eight, nine years old. So I definitely remember it. Uh, I actually moved to California in 1997 when the Marlins won that World Series. And my dad called me from the stands of Joe Robbie Stadium saying he was out the World Series. So thanks for that one, Dad. But uh, um, uh, I mean, both, like I said, amazing years. Um, I would say 03 just because of we took down the machine. We took down the Yankees. Uh, so, and we did it with the team that we did it with, that young team. Did it against Roger Clemens. Did it against guys like that with names that – some names that people hadn't heard about. And in, in reporting on minor league baseball, at the beginning of that season, some of those names guys hadn't heard of. You know, they obviously had the big names around them, but some, some names weren't big yet. I mean, Juan Pierre was one of them. He wasn't really big yet. He was there, and, you know, everybody knew he was fast and knew the skill set, but he was this small, wiry kid that just got on base. Uh, and turned into what he turned into. So, um, yeah, uh, in reporting on minor league baseball and covering these guys from when they start, I would say, based off of the youth of that team, I'll say 2003 was – has a. they both have special places in my heart. I'll say 2003 has a little bit more based off of that aspect. Uh, it, was a, it was a tough question, but I, I like your answer. I like the basis for the answer, too, that it had uh, a bit more kind of minor league connection, let's say. Um, right, final two, and then I'll let you go. Favorite – Current Marlin. Favorite current Marlins player. Uh, we're talking 40-man roster or we're talking 25-man or? Yeah, we're going to go 25, so. 25-man roster. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, I mean, there's, there's so many great personalities around this organization, Pete. I mean, they each bring something different to the field and to the clubhouse. Mm. Um, based off of his just pure outgoing nature, and the way that he interacts with players and his clubhouse antics and stuff like that is kind of like the clown, the class clown, especially during spring training. Um, and just based off of the stuff that he does uh, as a mentor for these other players, especially the younger players for me, um, I'll say Miguel Rojas has to be my favorite 25 man player. I definitely think he's a guy who has a future in coaching. I would love to see him stick with the Marlins organization uh, after he's done playing. Um, you know, he brings – and on the field, he brings what he brings. You know, he is who he is. Uh, he's not a guy that's going to go out and hit 30 home runs. But he's a guy that's extremely easy to get into games. Um, he could pretty much play anywhere on the field. Brings a little bit at each position. Um, and, yeah, he's, he's a guy that, that, that just keeps the game fun for him and other, other players. So, I'll say Miguel Rojas for my favorite 25 minutes. Yeah, solid. I mean, you're right. Top player, top guy. Could definitely be a coach. For what I've seen as well, could definitely be a podcaster. So, um, <laughs> you know, he's a jack of all trades. Listen, final question. And it's, it's one of them finish the sentence ones. So I'm not even sure it's a question. But anyway, um, Hall of Famer in the Marlins system right now is... Brian Anderson. Love it. Love it. What a way to finish. Based off of, um, obviously, the, the, the ability to hit the baseball. Um, this guy doesn't run into contact. This guy creates contact. Um, it's a guy that plays multiple positions. They threw him in right field last year, and 
just out of nowhere, he goes off. So the amount of athleticism uh, that he's shown already um, and the, the, the ability to just do whatever he's asked to do, um, he's made an all-star game already, still got a huge career ahead of him. Um, I think he has a little bit of growing to do if he is to reach a Hall of Fame status. Um, plays a great third base, though. Uh, I think his glove is even growing there um, from what it was uh, earlier in his career. Uh, we saw him with the hammerheads. Um, throws weren't really online. I think he's really, really coming to his own in terms of his arm accuracy. Strength was always there. Um, I think he profiles as a guy who could potentially, based off of his ability to get into games um, at multiple positions, um, I think he's a guy who has the ability to hit 500 career home runs. I think he's a career 270, possibly 260, 270 career hitter. Has a good eye, gets on base, not a lot of swing and miss. Fights at the plate. I don't think there's a lot to, to dislike. And he's a guy that they based this rebuild around. And there's something to be said for that. That they got rid of Stanton, they got rid of Yelich, they got rid of Rio Muto, but Brian Anderson is still here. So there's, the Marlins love him. Um, the organization loves him. They're building pretty much around him. Mm -hmm. um, and he's definitely a cornerstone of any franchise and will be the cornerstone of this Marlins franchise for a long time. So, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Hall of Famer, most sure thing, surefire Hall of Famer, if there is such a thing right now for the Marlins, Brian Anderson. Love it. What a way to finish. I mean, we've covered so much ground. I'm, I'm just thinking that as well. The players that we haven't even had time to talk about, like, one I did want to speak about, we have, we've run out of time, so it is what it is. But the, I'm thinking of guys for, I'm, we're expecting to see this year. Luan Diaz, we haven't even spoke about him. I mean, I, I, going into spring, I thought there's a good chance Luan Diaz, you know, even makes a roster straight out of spring. Like, I, I, I'm so excited about this guy. And there's an obvious opportunity at first base for him too. Um, you know, so we haven't had time. Yeah. Let's, let's yeah. finish on Luan, shall we? We better have yeah, I mean, he was a guy, like you said, um, we came into spring. Uh, you know, I saw him last year um, a little bit uh, in the Florida State League with the Miracle, who are now the Mighty Muscles. Love that name, by the way. <laughs> um, with the Twins. Um, so, saw him a little bit last year. Uh, I was at the um, Florida State League All-Star Game, uh, and he was there as a representative. Uh, did huge things in that organization. Um, I mean, even as low as, as these levels, you don't look at those stats that he posted and just say, there's nothing to say for that because he came into a hitter's league last year in the Florida State League and lit it up. So, yeah, Lewin was a great, great piece to be had for us. Got him back for pretty much not much. I mean, I, I, I don't even remember what we traded, but I know it wasn't much. So Roma yeah, was part I, of the deal, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, I love Sergio and uh, a good player, but like I said, we didn't we didn't have to lose a major piece to get back, pretty much a top five prospect in our organization now. So yeah, I mean, uh, you get rid of a reliever and you bring in a top five a top five organizational yeah. guy, like you you take that deal every day of the week as the Marlins, especially where they're at. Uh, yeah, he came in. I was not expecting him at all to do what he did, to where. Mattingly is even saying he can make the opening day roster. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if that was a direct quote, but he said, I know he's, he, they were thinking it was a possibility. So for him to come in straight from single A, um, single a, a full season in single A advance, I should say, last year, I think he got some time in with the shrimp, with the Marlins. Um, so 
yeah, for him to come straight in and basically, like, like I said, straight out of single A advance without much time in double A, and to do that, even in a spring training, that's you don't. It's another thing that you don't look at and just brush off. You got to put some stock into that. That this guy is able to do that at this age, that shows he's ready for big things. Um, I don't think he would have made the opening day roster just because of where he is in his career. Like I said, he has next to no time in double A. Um, even with what he did, even with how much he impressed, I think he still needed a little bit more in double A. But like you said, there's definitely a surefire opening for him at first base. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if we would have got a full season in, you would have started at first base with a shuffle, Aguilar, Cooper, whatever it was. Um, and then probably midway point would have saw him. Um, who knows what's going to happen this year, but definitely a piece that is going to be seen as early as maybe this year, depending what happens, definitely next year. So another guy to get excited about and another cornerstone piece. I mean, he could stick at first base. If he can continue what he showed in spring training, he could stick there for a long time. So yeah, a lot to be excited about with Leyland. Well, what a way to finish. Um, Alex, I must say that was absolutely awesome. Um, Promise me you'll come back on when we get the season back up and running. We need to we need to have you back on in the season, mate. It's been it's been great talking to you. Um, great, really digging deep on some of these guys, and like I said, some of the guys I've never even heard of. So uh, it's it's been a lot of fun. Um, where where can the guys for the, anyone who isn't following you, which I'm pretty sure will be no one listening to this podcast, but on the off chance, where can people get you on Twitter and uh, on the World Wide Web? Well, I, I'd like to think so because I love your audience and I definitely want your audience to be part of my audience. So uh, if they don't follow me, please do so. At Marlins Miners on Twitter, Instagram. Uh, I don't really do a lot of Facebook, just Twitter, Instagram. Uh, my website is linked there. Uh, it's marlinsminers.mlblogs.com. Uh, and uh, I'll post there. I try to post there as much as I can um, during the season, usually three, four times a month. Uh, but it's just me. Uh, I take all my own photos, write all my own stuff. Everything you see is me. So uh, it's, uh, it's a fun thing to do. It's definitely fun being there. Um, I've enjoyed building this project. And um, uh, like a lot of players in the Marlins organization, I'm excited to see what it can become. Uh, I love doing it. I definitely want to be back on with you guys. Uh, I, like I said at the beginning, I love your audience. I love what you guys do. Bring in the flair the South beach flair, I should say down to, uh, to across the pond, as you would say, uh, in your, uh, in your native tongue. So, uh, it's great to see Marlins fans, um, in other areas of the world. It's great to connect with them. Um, I really enjoyed talking with guys like you, uh, like I mentioned, Zach, Vincente, Daniel, everybody, everybody that brings Marlins baseball to other parts of the world. Uh, you guys are an integral part of, uh, of what's, of what's, most exciting about the Marlins fan base and uh we love talking to you guys so yeah definitely we'll be back awesome right guys that is episode 44 in the books the prospect pod uh you've heard it here as well Alex has confirmed and committed he will be back so we will uh we will check in as the season gets up and running hopefully we get some details on what that looks like uh, in in the coming days but For now, Alex, appreciate your time again, buddy. And um, to the listeners, we'll be back soon.